Hello, my name is Joanna Bailey. And I'm Jake Hardiman. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Joe will take a look at the latest aviation stories coming out of Russia, while I'll see how you can fly a Dreamliner from Geneva to Manchester soon. I'll tell you about Qantas's run of bad luck with the 737, while Jake finds out how Logan Air is celebrating the 40th birthday of twins. Finally, Joe will update us on the latest on Virgin Atlantic's newest fleet edition. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And regular listeners will notice we have a new voice on the podcast today. Um, I'm delighted to welcome Jake Hardiman to the podcast, who is going to be our guest presenter today because Tom is very lazily off on leave. Um, Jake, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Good, uh, good to be here and yeah, nice to be filling in for Tom while he's on his well-earned holidays. <laughs> well-earned, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but I wanted to kick off today with a bit of an update on the Russia situation. Um, obviously, lots is going on, um, but I've just picked out a couple of the major stories from the last week that I really wanted to share with our listeners. Um, so one of the biggest stories last week was that Russian aircraft manufacturer Urkut plans to swap Pratt & Whitney engines for Russian-made av- av- avia digital, I can never say that word, um, PD-14 engines on one of its MC-21-300s. They're planning test flights of the aircraft with these new engines. um, And this comes more than six months after the US and European nations impose sanctions on Russia that are preventing its airlines from accessing aircraft, engines and spare parts made in their countries. So this particular MC-21 is a six-year-old aircraft and it's registered 73051. Um, It's being used currently as a test bed by Urquhart, um, but it was fitted initially with US-made Pratt & Whitney PW1400G engines. Um, you know, Urquhart has, has a very strong and long-standing relationship with Pratt & Whitney. Uh, back in 2019, they ordered 40 of these engines for the MC21 programme, and deliveries were slated to run through to 2023. But of course, now Pratt & Whitney cannot deliver these engines. It had planned to deliver 20 this year. Um, I shouldn't imagine it will have a great deal of problems uh, getting them shipped to somebody else because they are the same basic engine that's used on a number of narrow bodies. Um, and Pratt & Whitney's loss is potentially Rostec's gain because the Ava Digital PD-14 is the first turbofan jet engine that's been created in modern Russia. Um, it is already fitted on another Urquhart testbed aircraft registered 73055. That plane has offered a, a operated around 100 flights using these engines. Um, And between that one and the one they're refitting with the Russian engines, they'll operate around 250 flights um, throughout the certification process. And Rostec's Deputy General Director says that the certification process is proceeding according to plan. Um, As we know, the, the certification process for Russian technology does sometimes take perhaps a little longer than they'd like and certainly a little longer than they maybe publish at the beginning of the project. But um, I think it's interesting to see their solutions for dealing with the the loss of the main aviation suppliers. Um, And that has been seen in another story that I picked up last week, um, that Russian cargo group Volga Dnepr has laid off over 200 pilots that were responsible for operating
using their Boeing aircraft. Um, now, obviously, this Russian-owned cargo operator can't maintain Western-made aircraft because it can't get the parts and can't get the services. And so it's seen its international operations severely limited, not just because of the lack of parts, but also because it's not allowed to fly to an awful lot of countries. Um, the pilots in question actually didn't fly for Volga Dnepr itself. It flew for they three flew for two of their subsidiaries, Airbridge Cargo and Atran. Um, people in the US and uh, the UK as well will be very familiar with Airbridge Cargo. It's uh, one of the biggest and most notable cargo operators that flies into the country. Um, and of course, they operated the 737, uh, most iconically the Boeing 747 and 777 freighters. Um, now, Volga Dnepr will have to rely on locally made aircraft like the Antonov AM124 and the Aleutian 76. So they've got three AM124s in service at the moment and four IL-76s. They do have another nine AM124s, but those are currently grounded for various reasons. And while Volga Dnepr might be struggling to maintain its business... A certain passenger airline is already laying plans to return to Russia very soon. Uh, kind of controversially, actually, uh, judging by the comments on the website, Wizz Air Abu Dhabi is going to be flying from Russia uh, to Russia in October. Um, and it sorry, it originally started this route in December 21. So it's quite a recent addition. But of course, it was forced to stop operating due to the outbreak of the conflict in February. And a couple of months after that, Wizz Air said it would suspend all Russia flights until October the 30th. Well, now it seems like it's kind of backtracked on that a little bit because it's, um, its booking system shows that flights from Abu Dhabi to Vnuko International Airport in Moscow are going to be launching again from October the 3rd. They'll be flying the A321 daily from Abu Dhabi. Um, of course, they're allowed to do this because while most countries have stopped their airlines flying into Russia, the UAE never did that. Um, and still, Etihad Airways, for example, is operating daily to Moscow. Um, and uh, I, I believe Emirates as well is flying in as well as... Um, fly Dubai. My brain just went blank then. So um, things in Russia are still very much up in the air, although maybe not so many of their airlines are. Um, Jake, you've got something to tell us about Ethiopian, I believe. Indeed, Joe. Well, it's funny that you should mention October the 30th, because also happening on that date is uh, the launch of an Ethiopian Airlines route from Addis Ababa to Manchester. Um, and what's special about that is that it's making a stopover in Geneva, Switzerland, um, and passengers will actually be able to buy tickets either on both of those sectors or exclusively just on Addis, um, sorry, on Geneva to Manchester um, on what's known as a fifth freedom route, um, as it doesn't involve Ethiopia at either end of that, but the flight itself carries on or starts off in Ethiopia. So therefore, uh, the airline is allowed to operate the service between the two countries. Now, that's not a new concept with Ethiopian, because um, they've also flown to Manchester via Brussels before. Uh, that was a, a pre-pandemic thing. They launched it in December 2018. And they actually did want to serve Manchester nonstop in the long term. And they were originally eyeing July 2020 uh, for a start date for that. But obviously, July 2020 was in the midst of the COVID pandemic. So that was put on hold. Um, but yeah, now they're going to Manchester uh, via a different European city this time. Um, they're going to be using the Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner, um, which has 30 business class and 285 economy class seats. Um, and that's especially exciting, I guess, in terms of a, yeah, an av geek like myself, the ability to sample a long haul business class product, as is the case on Ethiopian's Dreamliners, uh, on a route as short as Geneva to Manchester. 
Um, in terms of how short exactly it is, our friends at Head for Points have managed to find the times of these flights. Um, and going yeah, from Geneva to the northwest of England, it's uh, an early start, but worth it for that uh, that flatbed on the short flight, leaving Geneva at 7.15 and getting into Manchester at 5 to 8. So that's one hour and 40 minutes, accounting for the time difference. Uh, and then coming back, that's going to be leaving Manchester at 10 to 7 in the evening. And it's planned to then arrive into Geneva at 9.40 in the evening. So one hour 50 in that case. Uh, there's quite a few chances to do it. They're operating apparently four times a week. That's going to be on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays and Sundays. Um, yeah, and I don't know about you, Joe, but I just love these abilities to fly on Yeah, long haul products from, I guess, yeah, far flung countries, but the ability to do so within Europe. Certainly, I tried LATAM's Madrid to Frankfurt uh, when that was still a thing. And it was uh, yeah, a really enjoyable and unique experience. I don't know if you've ever tried one of those. I haven't, actually. And I really must because I always see these interesting fifth freedom flights popping up and think oh that must be amazing i was sort of planning um i think ethiopian had another fifth freedom which was to somewhere in spain but this was like before the pandemic and i don't think they run it anymore but ethiopian in particular are very um out there with their fifth freedom flights you know offering lots of really interesting opportunities so uh, yeah I, I would definitely drive all the way to manchester to fly to geneva <laughs> if i could do it in a flatbed it sounds incredible yeah definitely worth the journey Absolutely. So from Africa, let's head on down to Australia because Qantas has had something of a run of bad luck with its Boeing 737 fleet, uh, where they experienced three incidents in three days, including a lightning strike and flames coming out of an engine. So incident number one, one of its jets was struck by lightning during a flight in Western Australia on Tuesday, August the 9th. Um, so the Boeing 737, it was um, an eight-year-old plane registered VHXZM, and it was operating the scheduled service from Perth to Port Hedland. The strike occurred at about 19,000 feet um, and it was on approach to PHE at the time. But instead of continuing into Port Hedland, it diverted to Karatha, which is about 120 miles away, um, only about a 20 minute diversion from their planned airport. Um, the reason for that is that Port Hedland doesn't have the same um, support and infrastructure as they do at Karatha. Apparently, Karatha has a staffed air control tower, fire services um, and engineering support, which Port Hedland does not. Um, a Qantas spokesperson told us that aircraft are designed to withstand and fly safely when struck by lightning, but it is policy that they get inspected at their arrival port after a strike, and at no point was the safety of the flight compromised. Um, personally, I'd have loved to have been on board because I have no idea what it must look like from the inside of a plane when lightning hits the outside, um, and you are perfectly safe. It's, it's very rare that lightning causes any sort of problem with the aircraft because they're all designed to be protected. So, um, incident number two, uh, on the previous day, another 737-800 was involved in an engine shutdown. Um, so, it was registered VHZXH and it was climbing out of Queenstown Airport on Monday afternoon, operating flight QF-186 across to Brisbane. And during the climb, the pilots needed to shut down the left-hand engine, but for unspecified reasons. Um, and rather than returning to Queenstown, it diverted to Christchurch. I did check on this plane today because this is like nearly a week 
week later that we're recording the podcast since this incident happened and it's still at Christchurch so although they haven't noted what the issue was with the engine it appears it was quite serious because it hasn't uh, re-entered service as yet Um, but although that might be the most serious incident the most dramatic was probably the third one which was the 737-800 registered VHVZJ which had to issue a pan-pan alert at Sydney Airport on Sunday morning Um, 76 passengers were all buckled up on QF91 bound for Noumea when a car trailing the plane at the airport reported there were flames shooting out of the right-hand engine. Um, There's quite an interesting ATC conversation you guys can look up on uh, YouTube if you want to hear it. But the the panic in the captain's voice was apparent, let's just say that. Uh, Sydney Airport Fire Services escorted the plane back down to the terminal, um, but Qantas later issued a statement saying the pilots followed procedure, had shut the engine down, um, and they issued a statement noting that there was no warning light in the cockpit, and when the engine was shut down, there was no sign of fire. Engineers inspected the aircraft and cleared it to return to service. And in fact, checking flight radar 24, it was back in the air six hours later. So despite this dramatic, (laughs) apparently, appearance, um, it was nothing serious. Maybe a very small bird strike that didn't cause any damage to the engine. Um, But still, you know, drama aplenty. Um, And just in other Qantas news, um, this morning we heard that they're adding six Airbus A321 freighters to their fleet. Um, They said the extra aircraft are going to be needed to meet the step change growth in e-commerce demand. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be adding six A321 to be operated by Qantas Freight, and they're all passenger to freighter conversions, P2Fs. Um, Qantas Freight already has three of these A321 P2Fs, and the six that it announced this week will be delivered between early 2024 and mid-2026. So that's just another little bit of Qantas tidbits. But Jake, have you ever been on a plane when it's had a bird strike or there's been flames coming out of the engine? No, I can't say I have. That sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? But interesting <laughs> it really that the, yeah, the most dramatic sounding one was back in service as quickly as that, whereas yeah, one of the other ones is still on the ground almost still a week later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, away from Australia, in fact, about as far away from Australia as one can get, uh, we have a story from Scotland next up um, concerning uh, a pair of twins' 40th birthday. So that was David and Lindsay Henderson, uh, who celebrated uh, four decades on the 13th of August. Um, and they were gifted two free tickets each uh, by Scottish airline Loganair. Um, and that's a very nice thing to do. But as it happens, looking into the story, they actually have a very close tie to the airline. And that's namely that one of them, uh, namely Lindsay, was actually born on one of Logan Air's aircraft. So, yeah, their story began on the 13th of August 1982 uh, when their mother entered labour four weeks prematurely, which meant that they had to go to hospital in Aberdeen on the Scottish mainland. Uh, but being from Tingwall in the Shetland Islands, that required a um, flight on a modified Britain Norman Islander that was in Logan Air's fleet at the time. And uh, that had the necessary medical facilities on facilities on board to deliver a baby, uh, Lindsay in this case. So yeah, she was born in the sky and then about 40 miles away on the ground in Aberdeen was then joined by her twin brother David. Um, So yeah, very interesting how obviously you can have twins born, you know, sometimes on different days if they're either side of midnight, but but to have it in completely different locations must be a real rarity. and yeah, so after after 10 precautionary days in hospital in Aberdeen, uh, they returned to the Shetland Island with their parents. And it was also in Sumbra in the Shetland Islands where they were met by Logan Air representatives and gifted their free tickets last week. They were on their way back from uh, competing in a triathlon in Norway. Um, 
And funnily enough, the, the exact member of staff, uh, Mr. Captain Eddie Watts, who gave them said tickets, um, was also involved in gifting them um, some other goodies 19 years ago when they turned 21. So Logan Air has clearly stayed very invested in um, this pair of airborne babies, as it were. Um, so yeah, nice to see that connection. Um, as it happens, they're far from the only babies to have been born on board Logan Air aircraft. Um, the airline says that it supported more than 20 airborne childbirths um, wow. across its 60-year history. So yeah, about one in three years. Although generally it is quite a rare phenomenon. We do have stories on simple flying that pop up occasionally about babies that are born in the air. Um, and yeah, in, in researching another article last year, uh, I found a statistic that said it reportedly only befalls one in 26 million air passengers. So oh, wow. it does happen, but very unlikely nonetheless. I guess Logan Air has a higher proportion because it is so involved in getting mums to the mainland for the hospital, um, whereas most pregnant women wouldn't be allowed to fly that late into their pregnancy. But it's kind of a, a necessary evil for Logan Indeed. Air. And yeah, obviously, the airline serves a lot of quite isolated island communities. So their their medevac flights are, are very important for that. Exactly. I mean, I did hear a rumour some time back that if you got born on a plane, you could get free tickets with that airline for life. But I guess uh, with Logan Air having quite so many it could bankrupt the airline <laughs> Indeed, if it gave yeah. all the babies free flights for life but yeah. <laughs> still two free tickets is a nice gesture for your 40th birthday anyway <laughs> absolutely well hopefully they'll head on down maybe they'll come to Cornwall who knows um, for a bit of a breakaway absolutely <laughs> so I wanted to um, just give a little update on Virgin's new fleet edition because it's always so exciting when an airline takes a new plane type and of course Virgin is expecting its first A330 Neo by October um we found out that its first customer flight will be to Boston. And um, so it's going to be taking, um, from September 22, it's going to be taking three aircraft this year. And then the remaining deliveries will be in 2023 through to 2026. Um, and this week, we spotted the first aircraft for the first time, which was really exciting. Um, it was on its very first test flight um, on August the 12th in the late morning. And it took off from Toulouse, um, wearing the registration number FWWCG, which is obviously its test registration. Um, it took off and headed northeast over the Bay of Biscay, um, flew around over the water for a while, um, flew north over the region of Brittany, and it was around a four-hour flight altogether. Um, once delivered, obviously, this aircraft will take on its uh, permanent registration. And in the case of this one, its UK registration number will be VEWR. Uh, I'm wondering if that's a Newark reference. Maybe they're going for like American airports with these guys. Oh, yeah, uh, they do like they, their registrations to have cryptic meanings, don't they? Or not they so cryptic do. in that case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, EWR. I mean, what else could it be? Um, maybe we'll be surprised, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if this air aircraft is called Newark. Um, and we'll and see what the rest of them are called. But as reported by you, Jake, Virgin's A330neo services were, became bookable at the start of this month, uh, which kind of revealed to us where these planes will be flying in their first weeks. And Boston is just one of five routes that will see the type this winter from Heathrow. And joining Boston will be flights to Tampa, Miami, New York JFK, and Atlanta, although just with two one-off flights. Um, not sure what the reasoning for that is. Um, but the new route to Tampa International in particular is interesting because 
because that will be an all A330 Neo service from launch. Um, so it was originally booked um, to be served by the A330 300. But when the route actually launches on November the 3rd, um, everything will be Neo, which is really cool. So if you definitely want to fly a Virgin A330 Neo, Tampa is the place to be, um, operating four times a week from November. And of course, Simple Flying had the pleasure of previewing the Virgin Atlantic A330 Neo cabin in July. It wasn't on an actual plane. It was kind of set up in a warehouse, but it looked very cool. Um, it wasn't me that got to go, sadly, uh, because Virgin always do lots of lovely cocktails when they do these media events. Uh, but I, I take it Summit had a really nice time. Um, the standout feature on this new plane is the retreat suite. So this is a an upper class provision, which is right at the front of the plane. And it involves two exclusive suites that provide the most spacious passenger facility in Virgin Atlantic history. So there's a six foot seven inch seat that converts into a fully flat bed, a 27 inch touchscreen. That's all fairly much of a muchness with the rest of the upper class. But what's really interesting is that these suites can be, um, there's an ottoman at each end of these suites, which also, oh, sorry, also acts as an additional seat. So as a result, you can kind of set it up so that four people can dine and socialize in their own private area. It looks a bit kind of Q-suite inspired, which is really interesting um, and, you know, could be a real sales point for these A330 Neos. Um, they've also included the loft. You know, anyone who's flown Virgin's A350 will be familiar with this, um, but this one's even bigger. It can host up to eight people and has um, seats where passengers can catch up over refreshments. There's a self-service fridge. There's a drinks dispenser. And there's also 30 new upper class suites, which have been improved over what was on the A350. Um, one of the things I'm really pleased about is the Bluetooth pairing. I'm always bleating on about this, but, you know, we spend so much on our own headphones to use in our personal lives. It seems ridiculous that you have to get on a plane and then use something the airline gives you. So uh, this new plane allows you to pair your own headphones so you can use your Beats or your AirPods or whatever you want to use. Um, and the other thing I'm really pleased about is there's a fully closing privacy door and a do not disturb option. Now, on the A350, the door doesn't quite close. It like closes about 70% of the way, but still still leaves a gap. Um, Virgin said at the time it was because they're a social airline and they wanted people to interact with each other. But, you know, as a somebody that flies upper class now and then, what you actually want to do is have peace and quiet and go to sleep. So I'm really pleased that they've uh, done away with the partial door and put in a fully closing privacy door. Um, so then the, behind the, the upper class cabin, there's, of course, the premium economy cabin, which gives 38 inches of pitch, calf rests, uh, big recline. And there's also a big IFE screen at 13.3 inches and Bluetooth compatibility. Yay. Uh, and behind them, there's the economy seats, of course, which also have the same large 13.3 inch screens. That's one of the biggest economy screens in the sky, um, for, I, I believe. Passengers can choose between 28 delight seats, which offer the extra leg room up to 34 inches of pitch or there's 156 classic seats with your normal 31 inches of pitch. Um, they've also included um, wireless charging in the premium economy cabin but not in the economy cabin. Um, I should imagine it's an issue of space but there is AC and USB there so I'm really excited to see the A330 entering service. How about you Jake? Yeah it looks fantastic doesn't it? I flew on their older A330 upper class recently and that was very nice but yeah these new products with the yeah the close Closed style suite doors that 
looks like a, another step up. So hopefully mm. someone gets to try it very soon from us. <laughs> Did you have the, the kind of centre-facing seats on the 330 or were they forward-facing? No, they were angled. Um, okay. So uh, is that the case on the 330 near as well or are they going to be properly forward-facing? No, they're forward proper, facing? they look proper forward-facing just like the A350. So oh, um, yeah. a, a one-to-one layout um, with forward-facing completely enclosed suites, which is it's kind of becoming the standard for any decent business class product, I reckon. Um, and I found, I, I did fly their Dreamliner back from the US with the angled seats. And it was kind of weird because I was on the um, port side, the, the right side. Yeah. I'm never sure which is which. Uh, port is left, starboard is right. Oh, I was on the starboard <laughs> side then. Yeah. Oh, you're facing into someone else, aren't you? Yeah. Um, all the, so the centre passengers and the people on the port side were all facing me. So like, all you can see is just faces. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't too busy. But I, I, you know, I got the impression if it had been full, it would be quite like, hey, I'm on show over here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely kicking it up a notch with the 330 Neo. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if this, this wasn't eventually retrofitted on some of their um, newer 330s as well, just to give a bit of um, product uh, continuity across the fleet. Yeah, nice to be uh, properly lined up with the windows as well, not having to look over your shoulder, as is currently the case on the older 330s. Definitely, definitely. I'm, a, I'm very much a cloud gazer and, yeah, don't appreciate having to crane my neck to see the view. <laughs> Likewise. Well, I hope um, you enjoyed our podcast. I think that's all we've got time for today. As usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. <laughs>